Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, Sarah Walters talks about the housing first model for housing people with more complex needs who have been homeless and talks about women who are homeless and their needs. She also has some great advice and resources for landlords looking to let their properties to people who have been homeless. Hi, Sarah. It's great to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Lisa. <laughs> um, for people who don't know you, Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about you? Sure. So uh, I'm Sarah Walters. Um, I work in the best practice team at, at Crisis. And perhaps for those who, who are not quite aware, Crisis is a, a large national homelessness charity. Um, and we work directly with thousands of homeless people every year, providing help to them so they can rebuild their lives and get supported out of homelessness, but also do a lot of campaigning um, around changes to ending homelessness for good. And people may be aware of the crisis at Christmas offer, which is which is large, but we do a lot more, a lot more than that. Uh, and the best practice team where I work, um, we look to sort of identify, test and promote new solutions and approaches to ending homelessness across the UK, both working sort of within our own services to do that, but also externally with other charities and local authorities and in partnerships with particular cities as well. So we've got quite a, a wide brief. Mm, it's a really broad remit, isn't it, there of things to cover. And I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people perceive crisis to just be the Christmas, I've heard about the Christmas campaigns and that's who they associate crisis with. But as you're saying, it's a, it's a much bigger organisation than that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Christmas is really important to us, obviously, but we do a whole load of other things, other things as well. And that's where, where my involvement sort of more is. So. And, and your background's been working with homelessness for quite a while as well, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So I've been working in the sort of homelessness charity sector, I reckon, for about 18 years or so, both frontline. So I've delivered a lot of um, legal advice and services to people who are experiencing homelessness or through legal aid and managing that advice team and working within that sort of sector. But also I worked um, in development, so with a programme uh, for people who face perhaps the most complex disadvantage and um, looking at what would work for them in terms of ending their homelessness and helping them to thrive um, and I suppose the other thing um, that I'm very passionate about is I've got a particular interest in women's homelessness um, and I was awarded a, a Churchill Fellowship a few years ago to go and visit uh, Canada and the States and look at how they were addressing ending women's homelessness and what services and, and housing models they had there that we could perhaps learn from and bring back um, so that's something I'm really keen to see. Fantastic. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more, aren't we, about the, that, that in particular. Yeah. Um, just, we all, you were also saying, you know, we wanted to just we wanted to talk about um, housing first and what that model is and, and what that is. And do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of help people to understand what it is and, and how it works? Yeah, I, I guess some of your listeners probably will be aware of housing first because it certainly had quite a lot of press coverage in the last couple of years and they may have heard of it I suppose also particularly in relation to to Finland where it's it's really been held up as a, a way to end homelessness for for the most complex of people and um really housing first I suppose is 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 both a sort of a philosophy and also a housing model um it started in the states sort of back in the in the 90s uh, as a way to um 
help people who are really struggling with with mental health problems and in order to um, deliver uh, interventions for them and psychological help to them they found it was much better to house people first and then um, do the engagement piece afterwards and I suppose it it runs counter to the argument that people need to go through a whole load of a series of temporary housing solutions in order to become housing ready in order to then receive a permanent home in order to then start receiving perhaps the help that they need in order to help them lead a, a productive life and what housing first says actually what you need to have is the house first and we'll give you that a, a permanent place that is yours that the tenancy is held in your name and then we'll put all the support services around you to help you sustain that property and help you you keep that home and it sounds a really simple model when when you explain it but actually the reason it's provoked such a lot of interest is it it's been so successful in terms of helping people sustain their their tenancies and their homes and the sort of figures around people who move through that sort of staircase model, you know, from emergency accommodation to temporary accommodation to perhaps somewhere else, and then eventually their own, um, is sort of about 40%. Whereas the evidence from across the world, from North America, Europe, and in England, Wales and Scotland, is actually, it's more like 80% of people are able to sustain their home using the housing first. Wow. So they, it, double, are really strong. Isn't it? Yeah, a really, really significant difference. And Absolutely. That, and as you say, it seems quite straightforward, doesn't it? But the traditional model was very different from that, wasn't it? That people would be chopping and changing in and out of different services and different temporary accommodation until they were deemed to be capable of taking on their own yes. tenancy. Yeah, absolutely. And it, but this says we, it says it's philosophical in its underpinning because it says actually we think that you have a right to live somewhere of your own and we'll help you to keep that property. But actually, if you think about it, if you're living in a, in a, a hostel accommodation, for example, you have a load of rules and regulations around your accommodation for that property, which aren't really related to the tenancy themselves. Like you may not be able to have visitors to come in. You may, not, you may have a curfew and have to be in for a certain time or out for a certain time in the morning. And those sort of keeping to, to those rules and regulations aren't really about you and your home. So if, if I, if I um, have my home, nobody says to me, you've got to be in by 11 o'clock at night or else you, you, you'll lose your home. And that is what can happen in hostels. Or if you don't spend a night in your own home, nobody says to you, you've not spent a night in your home, therefore you can't have it anymore. Whereas obviously there are rules around occupancy for hostels, understandably. And it doesn't help people to stabilise their housing and, and move on from that. And housing first, there's something about the psychological impact of people having their own place with their own front door key kept to the same rules and regulations everybody else has in terms of tenancies so there's not any special tenancies are given you have a, a standard tenancy which you keep to you pay your rent you look after your property you work well with your neighbors all the things that everybody else has to do you're treated the same as everybody else but actually we recognize because of the complexity of your need you might need some extra help to keep that property um help you with support with that property and that's what the support offer is which is why housing first isn't just about the housing it's also about the support offer and the support offer is really key because that is about long-term um sort of personalized support taken at the, the pace of the person who is the tenant um 
as much as they are they are needing it isn't a support offer that ends after a year or two years it's as long as people need oh, so it. it can stay open like an open-ended it can, yeah it can stay open and and i think in, re, in reality it, it doesn't stay open because obviously commissioners think oh that sounds horrendous you know an open-ended support offer for a lifetime but that actually isn't what what happens people need intensive support probably you know for the first year or so but that, that support will then tail off as people get established you know within their communities and I mean, uh, the, the government are seeing the benefits of this. The government, as your listeners are probably aware, um, invested £28 million into three large housing first pilots across Liverpool City region, West Midlands and Greater Manchester. And those figures for that are, are already showing that we've had sort of over 500 tenancies. You've got an 86% success rate in terms of, of people um, staying in their properties. Scotland's the same. Scotland has a national policy on housing first. They've got over 500 tenancies there, again, well into the 80s in terms of their success rate. But no one's been evicted from a housing first tenancy in Scotland. Wow. People who've left it have either sadly died or they may have perhaps been recalled to prison, but no one has been evicted. And I think the, the evidence is really strong. Um, mm. that it does work. Do you think that's going to be rolled out from those those I suppose it's still early for those trial sites in England isn't it as to whether that's going to be rolled out into being a national program I think that's what crisis would really push for for it being a national role like in to say it ready is national policy in Scotland but we'd like to see it in in England as well mm. it but I suppose to make make it clear that it is really for the people with the most complex of needs who find who perhaps need the most help in terms of being able to settle in their property it isn't because it's an expensive model in terms of the support, because you've obviously got this long-term support that's mm. going on. Um, and that's why it's shown to be effective from a cost-benefit perspective. If you think about the most complex of people who may have been perhaps rough sleeping for a long time, um, the cost around that in terms of perhaps A&E emergency appointments because they haven't got a settled GP, perhaps interaction with the criminal justice system, uh, those sorts of things, those costs will decrease as they are housed. And there are loads of really great case studies where people have been, um, you know, uh, perhaps street homeless for 20, 25 years, constantly being arrested by the police of public order offences or constantly using A&E. They go into their own property under housing first and there's no interaction with the police at all. because They're not out on the street with the potential for those sort of offences to occur. They're in their own home. So the cost of the public purse in terms of criminal justice just goes goes right down. And there's a great report by the Centre of Social Justice which illustrates some of that and talks about the need for scaling up housing first across the across the whole country for that complex group of people who need the extra help. Fantastic. We'll probably we'll put the link to that in the show notes if people yeah, want sure. to, to find out a bit more about that. And so it, it's offering support around a whole range of complex needs so it's everything from sort of alcohol and addiction services and mental health services is, is that right it's a whole kind of combined approach to to people's needs yeah it is it's recognizing that people perhaps particularly perhaps with mental health services which are under pressure anyway as we know um that people often need a lot of help with that and some of the housing first teams will have a mental health practitioner within their team so you can provide that that support which is which is really great and often people if they are receive if they are receiving treatment and they are receiving medication their mental health can be quite stable obviously if you're if you are out on the on the street and you are rust sleeping it's particularly difficult to 
to stabilize that part of your life because you may not be able to access the specialist help that you need because you're you're on the street um, it's your house again you get your hat your housing sorted and then from that base you can then start to receive um the interventions that you need to to help you so yeah so people will be can be linked into sort of drug and alcohol services mental health services they'll get help with the stuff that you would help people anyway within their tenancies such as with benefits and getting those sort of things sorted out as well but i think it's that ongoing um building of the relationship with the support worker it's helping them start to integrate into the community and start being part start playing their role within it and mm. bringing out it's a very very much a strength-based approach to support work so you're looking at what the person in themselves is really passionate about and building on that i remember a story from manchester where i used to work where somebody who had a very chaotic housing history was housed in housing first and we discovered that he loved like writing and writing poetry and we took him along to classes that would help him with that and he produced all this stuff stuff that you would not know that people were able to do um because on the street your needs are very immediate and that's what you spend your time focusing on don't you How, where am i going to sleep safely where am i going to eat where am i going to try and keep safe whereas you what's your how again what's your house you start doing the stuff that we, you and i would do in our spare time and develop the, the skills that we would like to to work towards as well which just increases people's sense of self-worth and being part of the community and all of those things that just help people to recover and improve, don't they? Yeah, and Housing First gives you the time for that as well. I think because this support offer is is ongoing, um, you're not saying, well, you're only going to have support for six months and then that's it, we're going to walk away. Because the support workers and the team can say, look, you know, we're here, we are here for you. We will work with you. You've got that. You've got time to help people not only settle into their properties, but then start that process of, I guess, finding out, perhaps rediscovering interests that they had and skills that they have and aspirations that they had just weren't able to explore because their needs were so focused on the immediate and, and not the long term. I suppose with my property investor head on, I can think, oh, this sounds great. This sounds like, you, you know, you'd have a tenant in your property. They may have the tenancy agreement with you as the landlord, but they're getting all this support. But actually, <clears throat> what happens then if that support, well, you know, as we all know, support packages change, you know, political will changes, doesn't it? And then suddenly you have a tenant in your property. I can hear the, the landlords thinking this you know what happens then I'm stuck with potentially a tenant who isn't yes. getting the support they need and then I feel like I'm responsible you know I, I guess that's one of the concerns with it yeah completely and this is this is why the funding is so important why the support element is so important and why housing first needs to be seen as both the housing and the support together and that is the model it isn't just the provision of the home so the housing first sort of support contracts will be will be longer than necessary, longer than people are used to, I think. Um, and I can completely understand landlords thinking we've been left in the, we've been burnt in the past by people having promises of support that are then um, withdrawn or inspire to be what they said they were. And I completely, completely get that. Um, I guess there, if people are concerned about that, Housing First England, which is a hosted by Homeless Link, I've got some really great information for landlords and commissioners on Housing First and what to look for in terms of the, the support package. I think one of the one of the principles around Housing First, it is underpinned by some principles, is that the support and the housing are separated. And what that generally means is that 
your the person who provides the support isn't always the person who is responsible for the housing as well and the reason for that is because housing first says we are committed to the tenant independent of the property in which they're living so if the tenant does move around for example the support will stay with the tenant rather than staying with the property and obviously if you are a landlord and support provider that can provide a bit of a, a tension and a clash so I suppose if people are, are looking at you know this person says they're a housing first tenant how do I know that that is that is right? Have a look at the Housing First England site to see the information and resources that are there to ask the right questions, to make sure that the support that is being offered is well-funded and is long-term and does comply and adhere to the principles that again are on that site in terms of being independent from the housing, being long-term, being focused on choice and control, being focused on being person-centered and strength-based and have a look at that and see if, if, if that works as well. Um, fantastic that's really helpful and we'll get the links to that as well and pop that in the show notes for people as well Sarah thank you um I know also you wanted to talk about you know the work that you do with um women who are experiencing homelessness and and the needs that there do do you want to talk a little bit about that and explain that for people yeah I I guess women's homelessness is um some people might think well there aren't there are hardly any women homeless because we don't ever see them on the street and I think that is one of the issues around it because obviously homelessness is more than just rough sleeping and I think there's a danger of thinking homelessness is only who you see in in shop doorways whereas we know there's thousands of tens of thousands of people who are hidden homeless or who are sofa surfing or who are living in cars or staying on buses overnight in order to avoid sleeping on the streets and that rough sleeping is the most dangerous and the um, the most visible sign of homelessness but it's by no means the only expression of it and women are very much not represented in the rough sleeping uh, population. They do rough sleep, obviously, but the proportions are small because it is so dangerous to be a woman out on the street. Um, but women are homeless, and I think they're, they're, they present slightly differently from men in terms of the reasons why they, they become homeless. And the solutions and the approaches also probably need to be particularly gender-specific as well to really address it. I suppose one of the main factors and differences that a lot of women will become homeless through domestic violence and through relationship breakdown Um, and so they will end up to avoid being on the street they'll end up staying with in unsuitable relationships in order not to be street homeless uh, or moving from place to place or and we do know about this through through research that for those women with children who are facing domestic violence the situation can be really challenging in terms of decisions that that have to be made and um, i suppose one of my concerns is that because women aren't seen on the street they're not often counted and if they're not counted then provision isn't made for them within services that are commissioned and so therefore the situation sort of perpetuates itself and i guess one thing would be great if we could start to to count women who are homeless um, more realistically and get a better picture of what's going on and think about services that, that need to be designed specifically sort of for them. Do you have a sense of what the numbers are, Sarah, or is it really hard to capture? I think, it's, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard to, to, to give that figure because obviously how do you count something that is hidden? I know that women who go into domestic violence refuges, for example, aren't counted within the homelessness figures. Okay. There's women who are receiving help and services through domestic violence services not through homelessness and you could argue that actually they are they should be counted within those within the figures 
um, and there has been some uh, more recognition of that but it, I think it's still something that we'd think would be a, you know, a good thing to happen. I think just going back to the women who are home with children, one thing we have heard is that if women are experiencing domestic violence at home and there are children that are around, there are some very difficult decisions that, that need to be made because we've heard of women who have been told by social services, if you remain in the property with your children, then you're allowing your children to witness the abuse which you're suffering and therefore we, we may remove the children or as a woman do you then think okay well do I stay in the in, in if I stay I'm going to be might be accused of that and have my children removed if I leave if I leave with my children I might have to go into some temporary accommodation or a refuge or somewhere that is a long way away from their school I might be moved around a lot and particularly if you're in perhaps in the southeast and in London you may be in that temporary accommodation for a long long time and we've heard some really um upsetting stories of what life in temporary accommodation is like for women and their children or do you say okay well i'll leave the children and I'll, I'll flee myself and then as a woman you have to find somewhere to stay the law was recently changed um through some uh, crisis policy work around um people who are leaving in that situation will be held to be in priority need which is good so they can get they can get um, assistance from a local authority but you may get rehoused in a place that only has room for you and doesn't because uh, your children aren't with you they're not taken into account in terms of the space which you're given so then you're stuck because you then can't have your children to stay because you haven't got any space to them because you've only got a one-bed property so you can see there's a whole melee of difficult situations um and difficult decisions that need to be made around that and some real perhaps joining up of of services and joining up of processes where the women's situation is looked at a lot more holistically, I think it would be really beneficial. So if, if social services and housing and health services were looking at women's situations altogether, we'd hope some better decisions would, would be made, um, would be made for them. Mm. It's, it's joined up thinking, isn't it, across all the services that's, yeah, definitely required yeah. to, to think of and, and solve those, I guess, children's and adult services working together as well. Yes, that, that, that would be really good. <laughs> <laughs> it would <laughs> and so um from a sort of service provision point of view for for women who've uh, been homeless you know and it's just what do you think what needs to be put in place do you think yeah. from that joined up thinking is it that there, there isn't appropriate accommodation for people or very yeah very much so i think it's all along it's all along the, the process really i think in terms of women presenting as homeless often they cut they just do that with the men so if you have had, um, it's often is a problem you have mixed sort of services. So you present as homeless, but actually you're presenting next to men who you may have been, you may have known previously. Certainly if you get put into emergency accommodation, often the only option you have is in a, a mixed hostel or a mixed environment. And that can be very traumatic for women who already, already suffered perhaps domestic violence and sexual abuse at the hands of men to be then put in a mixed environment in a hostel uh, where you're sharing that that can be very tricky there's there is, there is some but there's very little women only provision um, within that that space um in terms of receiving help and services you often get this the same problem so drug and alcohol services may not have women only provision so you have to line up to receive your your help next to somebody who may have sold you drugs or you've had a healthy relationship with 
and that may put you off from getting help, may put you off from accessing the, the help that you need. So certainly more sort of gender specific um, accommodation would be ideal and really everyone needs to have a home so everyone needs to be housed and if we could minimize the amount of time that people spent in emergency accommodation and took that approach from housing first without calling it that without and saying actually what people need is um, a safe affordable permanent place to live not to be kept moving around every few weeks or every six months but actually a permanent place with with support that they need to sustain that perhaps not at the level of housing first which you know is for the most complex people who need that long-term support but some support to recognize you'll need some help to, to move in and and disabled and that would that would be great that then that's what i guess that's what we're working for with it within our team in terms of pushing a house this housing led approach which says let's, let's not put our time and our resources and our energy into shoring up a system that has a lot of temporary accommodation within it let's help people to move into their own permanent homes where they can stay and put down roots fulfill all they are called to be have achieved their ambitions settle settle well for their homes and their families and their, their children um, and not keep moving around not have this constant stress of the, the temporary nature of the place in which they're living um, and, and women would benefit from that as much as anyone absolutely do you have any tips or advice for property investors things that property investors should be thinking about i, I guess my overwhelming encouragement would be to to consider renting to people who need some sort of rental subsidy through housing benefit to be able to to rent and i can completely appreciate from landlord's point of view that um trying to engage with the universal credit system can be a nightmare and frustrating and i, and I completely completely get that um so entering into that with with your eyes wide open but there's a, a whole group of people who will be brilliant tenants but who do need housing benefit in order to be able to to pay their rent um some of the housing first tenants even though they would in theory be the most complex people have done really well in private rented accommodation because you've got that support that, that's there for people and it, and it can really work um there are, there are, I know there are barriers for uh, people and women trying to access private rented accommodation that is good to have a think about as well. Um, people needing homeowning guarantors, for example, um, can be a real barrier for, for people getting, getting accommodation. But there are some help to rent schemes across local authorities. And again, the Crisis Best Practice site has got a list of resources. And one of those is a, a load of details about help to rent schemes within local authorities where where landlords can contact them and, and offer properties and have that mediated through the through the schemes that and i will give you the link for that that as well because it would be great for landlords to to use that and they'll again that they'll get a, a, a often get a, a bond or a deposit help with that as well but it just opens up good quality accommodation for people who needs who want to have a home in a particular area and and i guess your landlords can really help fulfill that need i guess we see the private rented sector as being part of the solution to ending people's homelessness um and, and we'd love to see more landlords come on board with that definitely thank you sarah it's been great talking to you today thank you and you thanks for having me